Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. of a good relationship with intentions and goals is keeping in mind that the primary aim of setting and working towards those goals is to feel the way you want to feel. The external things we want to have and do and experience, those are your secondary goals, all of which will get you back to the whole cosmic point, experiencing your core desired feelings.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. I hope today finds you in a good space. That was our wonderful friend and sister power one, Daniel Laporte. And the theme of that is entitled Desires Divine. It's on Monique Rhodes' album entitled Heartbeat. It's one of those meditations or reflections that really have you thinking deeply about why you're really here and understanding the process of the transformation that we are all undergoing at this time. Whether it seems to be really high moments for you or the valleys, it's still something good. There's something coming out of it. And I think it's so important that we always remember, even during the high and the low moments, value them. Value them with all your might and with all your heart because it's life. It's life. Hey, if you happen to be in Sacramento, California, could you join me and a whole bunch of friends out there? I'll be opening up for Governor Newsom at the Visionary Summit, which is taking place in Sacramento at the Double Tree by Hilton, September 19th to the 22nd. It's a catalytic group of innovators and out-of-the-box thinkers with unprecedented ideas for solutions. They're human beings who are willing to stand in the fire and they're unapologetic heroes and heroes solving the critical issues of our time. But we're also at a time of great peril in which we can't afford to burn out because real-world change will demand our highest potential. I came across a quote from Henry Ford, and it touched me a lot. It goes like this. When everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. So what is about to take off for you? How high are you planning to soar? To what extent are you willing to sustain your height, knowing that at some point you're going to have to land, refuel, and get back up again? Glad that you could be with us. You know, America Meditating will always keep you thinking and challenging your capacity and your inner potential as you go out in the world to make change. Change is inevitable. There's no doubt about it. So for us to be attached to certain things, it's not to our best interest. I know that lately, and I've shared this very publicly about my mother's, you know, gradual decline in her memory and just her way of being and behavior and stuff. It has really kind of turned the whole family a little bit, I don't want to say right side up, or and I definitely don't want to say upside down, but it has had us all thinking in ways in which we can definitely be of service to her because we won't put her in an assistant living. But also what it has been showing me is to what extent my kindness is there. And... You know, there were just certain ways that I was observing myself coming out in expression. I wasn't so kind. And I was like, Jen, that's not even you. That's not even you. And I thought about it, and I've been thinking about it a lot and asking, what's up? What's wrong? All these years of work, look at this. So what? A little challenge? Okay, great. You know she has to go through this. You know this is a process. This is nothing new. You can handle it. And it was interesting how I would find myself thinking about, but, you know, she's with me 24-7 and my scheduling is like this. And then, you know, her behavior is so erratic and so different. And, and, you know, all the excuses I would give myself to try to escape the fact that, but it doesn't give you permission to be unkind. Hmm. Food for thought. So we will get tested not because we're weak, We will get tested because we are very, very strong. And there is a power sitting inside of the soul that is about to be birthed at a level that you might never even be aware of knowing how powerful it really is for you. So hold tight, my friends, and don't let go too easily because there's always going to be hope and always light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Today, I'm very happy to welcome Canadian-American award-winning voiceover actor Jennifer Hale. She has been dubbed the Meryl Streep of the medium by New York Her Magazine, holding the world record for the most female video game voices. Jennifer, I wish I played games, then I would be hearing your voice more and more. But anyway, she definitely earned her title of queen, voicing popular game franchises like Baldur's Gate, Mass Effect, Metal Gear Solid, Spider-Man, Bioshock, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, but she's also known for animation and cartoons like Totally Spies, and where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? 
Jennifer carries a torch for breaking down gender stereotypes and same-sex relationship barriers in video games, like she did in Mass Effect. Now she's busting through the glass ceiling in another taboo topic, money, with her podcast, The Art of Money. Jennifer's lighting the way to bring everyone up, tackling topics like how much to save, career, advice, and activism when it comes on to your dollars. gives me great pleasure to welcome Jennifer Hill to America Meditating. Hi, Jennifer. Nice to have you. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful introduction. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you, Sister Jenna. It's wonderful I was just to be saying, here. Oh, I'm glad that you could make it. I was just saying, can you believe I have not ever played a game? And, <laughs> you know, back in the day when I was, what, um, 15, what, what, let me say 13, 14, 15, 16, the last game I remember playing was like Mario Brothers in the arcade. I so relate. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. And uh, we had a wonderful roundabout on Twitter with a few of us who do who perform in a lot of games, and we were all talking about how horrible we are at it and that we don't play, but we love <laughs> doing them. <laughs> no, it was so interesting because I was saying, like, I've, I see so many people who sit next to me or something, and I see them playing a game, and I go, what are you doing? What are you playing? And I just have not gone there, and I maybe I just don't have the time. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I think, you know, we all have our interests. For me, when I'm when I'm not working, I want to be outside or I want to be engaged in something, you know, in the physical world around me. Yeah. So that's where my joy is. But a lot of people me get their joy from games, and there's some incredible stuff that's come out of them. There are some beautiful games being created that allow people to stand in other people's shoes, that give people outlets to walk their way through issues around depression and anxiety, and the stories of these games are, uh, of all, many, many games, most of the games out there, the RPGs anyway, uh, role-playing games, really powerful. They have an opportunity to create a world and a reality that's phenomenal and touches people in such deep ways. It's incredible. Mm. Yeah. I never knew that. I never knew that. Yeah. Now you have me really curious. Mm-hmm. I want us to talk about you and your whole journey. I understand that you started doing voiceover spots on a local radio station when you were a teenager. Can you tell our I, listeners uh, yes. about this experience? Uh, yes, I well, I used to. I worked at a video production house as mm-hmm. a teenager, and uh, next door to an audio studio called Batwell Studios, and they needed someone who could, I think it was do a Valley Girl or something, and I could do that. And so <laughs> I ran next door to record, and I think I got paid thirty or thirty-five dollars, and I was blown away as a teenager. I was blown away and highly motivated. So I got the guys there, Greg and Courtney, to mentor me, and I kept remaking my reel and. This was in Birmingham, Alabama, and kept redoing it and learning and redoing it and learning. And I used to take that reel and go door-to-door cold-calling ad agencies because we didn't have agents in Birmingham at that time. And and I built up a business. I started doing on-camera commercials as well. There were five ad agencies in town that did nothing but what they call syndicated small market car commercials. So you'd sort of line up five different dealerships, the exact same copy for the radio or the on-camera commercial, and you just change the dealer name at the end, you know. And I did a ton of those. Yeah. Then I would drive over to Atlanta to try to get – started going over there to get larger work opportunities. I think by the time I was, you know, in college, about halfway through college, I was uh, supporting myself full-time doing it, acting. and. I went to Atlanta just to get more commercial opportunities and landed my first audition for a film project and loved that style of acting. And it made the most sense to me and um, loved it. How did your family feel knowing that you were bringing home the green? You know, my family structure was a different kind of structure. You know, uh, my memories of that are so foggy. I was just getting through, you know. I think my mother was proud of what I did. My mother was an academic. My dad was also an academic. And then my biological father is an extraordinarily intelligent man. And also, he did largely manual labor gigs his life, you know, drove trucks, snowplow, that kind of thing. And he's a tribal elder up in Canada, and his days are currently consumed with activism, and he makes a huge difference there. So I grew up around people who really didn't know much of what I was up to, but my mother got me into a fine arts high school because traditional school wasn't working for me. I was severely bullied, which I don't think she knew about because I never really told her. 
but ended up being a blessing, a huge blessing that I got into the fine arts high school because I was around uh-huh. other creative people who were unique and the bullying stopped and it was a lifesaver. <laughs> nice, nice. Now you got your first big acting break in like 1988, I think, and it was made for a television movie called A Father's Homecoming. What was the transition to acting like for you? And I have to tell you, I've been so like interested and curious about the whole profession or just the art of acting. I'm yeah. finding it extremely fascinating to get into a character that you're quote-unquote not and mm. make it so believable that millions of people go, wow, you know, they breathe into that character as if it's them or somebody they'd like to be. I mean, it's just yeah. a fascinating profession. Tell, tell us more. It's a fascinating process. I mean, for me, I think I took one drama class when I was in junior high. And then when I went to Alabama, I, I memorized my monologue for my audition for the Fine Arts High School at like 1 o'clock in the morning in the parking lot the day before. It was, it was very last minute, very thrown together. And when I went into that school, we were trained in a lot of the traditional stuff, Stanislavski, you know, the very, very traditional basics. And for me, the process of acting has been a process of taking all the different schools of thoughts that I was exposed to, you know, the Meisner, the Stanislavski, you know, Udhagen, all those different formulas and compiling them into a system that works for me over many years. I think one of the benchmarks for me is that I remember in the 90s bemoaning to myself, kind of beating myself up, for the fact that I wasn't as good at it as I wanted to be, and I had a wonderful flash of insight that I'm eternally grateful for, where the universe basically said, sit down. <laughs> you take 20, 30 years to get that good. Give yourself, have a look then and see how you feel. And I thought, okay, I will, I will shut up and stop beating myself up and simply try to get a little better every day. The process of acting, I think what I'm hearing you may be drawn to is that we step into our humanity as deeply as possible. And for me, I lose who I am, which I like. When I look at a character, mm-hmm. everything comes out of the writing. Everything's in the writing. And writers, to me, should be the rock stars. They should be the celebrities because without them, we have nothing. Although many of them would probably rather crawl under a rock. I don't know. <laughs> but it's in the writing. I see that character. I get to know the universe that they live in. Are they humans? You know, in my part of the occupation, are they human? Are they spore mold? Are they creatures? What are they? Are yeah. we in the past, the present, the future? What is that universe like? And then what's my role? What's my sort of Joseph Campbell archetype that I mm-hmm. that this human occupies and where they break out of that, where are they sort of aligned with that? What in me as a human being individually is part of this person I'm playing and what pieces of me do I need to put on the shelf and not access? And for voice acting, that also includes not just personality, but vocal range. You know, if I'm, if I'm playing a quite serious character, I'm not really going into this part of my range and I'm not going to be silly and goofy. You know, I'm not, I'm generally not (laughs) going to be that. Right. And so I, I sort of do a quick instinctive sort of what's, okay, what's included in this human and then what's included in this human that I don't have as much permission for in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Like I love playing so-called villains and bad guys who they never think they're bad. They frequently, I find things are quite bright and everyone else is just on the wrong page and they're tremendous leaders and going to get it done no matter what. You know? <laughs> they're, mm. just, they're just following a moral compass that's quite different from the rest of us. I love that. <clears throat> yeah. So it's, I, it's I love that. Fun. I love what you just said because I think one of the things my soul has been calling out for is is just that sort of like, you know, stepping deeply into something that can just emerge another part of you. And yeah. I was thinking to myself because in some spiritual traditions and in even my practice of Raj Yoga meditation, there's something mm-hmm. called sanskars that are in the soul, and so your sanskars are formed in your personality as a result of every thought, word, and action or choice you have performed and you have felt, and that travels with you. So I used to always wonder when I was a little bit younger, I used to go, I'm scared that if I get into acting, I'll end up with a sanskar that maybe I just really don't want to have in me anymore. But then you said, 
but then you were saying but that, you know, it's, it's a path, it's, right? They're all right, and this is a part us. of you. Exactly, exactly. It's just a part, and believe it or not, a lot of us have a lot of stuff sitting there, but we tend to suppress it or depress it because we have to either live in the safe zone, take care of family or friends or just people or the public opinions, and we just never really be who we want to be. And so yes. I always think like acting is really an opportunity for us to explore more of who is sitting inside of the soul, you know. And it's a bridge as well. Yes, sorry. It's a bridge too. Yes, I can see that it would be a bridge. Jennifer, what would be some of the unique challenges that you've endured as uh, in voice in voice preparation or voiceovers versus acting on a stage or on a screen? You actually just I think called out one of them. Voice acting is acting, and people don't always get that. I'm surrounded by some of the most brilliant actors I've ever seen in the voice world. And mm-hmm. I think that is, that's a unique challenge is that people don't see that, you know. There are a number of things that are different about voice acting to on-screen acting. You know, one of the more obvious is uh, the pay scale, <laughs> You know, when you get an on-camera actor doing the same thing we are, they're paid five figures, you know, for what we're paid three for. And we frequently will stunt in for them. Some of voice acting, especially in games, is quite demanding. Uh, If you've ever been at a large event with a lot of people, a large gathering, and you have to speak to people all night like this, you know, at that volume, the next day Mm. you may have that feeling. Game acting is a lot of that. And, you know, they're different to... Animation sessions, you know, animation sessions you were booked for, you know, four hours or six hours, depending on which, which union umbrella you fall under. And you are sharing the load in an animation session. It's like a performance with a lot of people. In a game session, it's most of the time, 95, 98% of the time, unless it's performance capture, which is one of my favorite things ever. Performance capture is when you, it's the way they shot Avatar. You're wearing the, the very unflattering black pajamas with the dots all over them. But in a traditional voice session for games, it's a four-hour, one-person show. Mm-hmm. And it involves a it's lot of that intensity. Yeah, yeah. It's, the focus is in, in, insane in those, show, in wow. those sessions. Yeah. I'm learning a lot yeah. talking to you today. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am. And where do you draw your inspiration from, especially when you're doing your voice acting, since it, it seems to have like a different sort of a, way of showing up to some extent versus just, you know, when you're acting on the stage or behind a camera? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it again, it always comes from the page because I'm so um. inspired by the writing. And if it's animation, you know, I, it's my peers because I, they're brilliant and hilarious and I just want to keep up because <laughs> they're amazing <laughs> Games tend to be the many most of the games that I do are more like a really intense action feature or uh, spy features, you know, film something like that. So I draw a lot of inspiration from my time as an audience member watching those, and from life as a human being. I boil when I break down what a character's up to. I find the universality in every moment. Loss is loss. Fear is fear. Pain is pain. Joy is joy. And I connect yeah. to all those as a human being. Rage is rage. You know, I connect right. to all those as a human being, and I pull that in, feed it through the filter of behavior acceptable for the person that I'm occupying at that moment, and then it comes out. I love that. I love that. In uh, 2013, you were chosen by Guinness World Record as the most prolific female video game voice actor. Woohoo! Wow! Woo! <laughs> I didn't even know there was a record. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know there was a record. So that's I... how I found out I had the record. I was quite surprised. I was like, what? You're kidding <laughs> me. You're kidding me. So what was that all about? Apparently, somebody counted, and I guess I've done more than any other woman on the planet. Steve Bloom has done more than any of the men, and you know, it's all about that I love to work and I like real estate, so I will pretty much take any gig you want to put in front of me as long as it's decent. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, the video game industry is continuing yeah. to grow with new products and technology, and it's actually estimated to be worth over $140 billion worldwide. Why do you think the gaming industry has become so popular, and what is that and that appeals to the approximate 2.5 billion video gamers worldwide? It's 
a really unique it's fantasy. Is it just fantasy? People just want to be <clears throat> in fantasy. Is that what it is? It's it's entertainment. It's like, do you enjoy going to a movie? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, you know, if you think of a movie you enjoyed seeing, an experience you enjoyed having there, it connected with you on an emotional level. And then if you think of, for me, if you think of sports, because a lot of those games are sports games, right? If you think of sports, how much people love their sports, they get to jump in and be a player without doing all the training and all that for those types of games. For your RPGs or your fantasy, you know, in the fantasy world or in the sci-fi world, you get to immerse yourself and be in that world, which is really fun. Really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet it is. You're co-creating. It's like, it's like in playing. A lot of... It's like you're playing. I love it. Yes. You're playing yeah. pretend. You're re- yeah. only with sophisticated environments and storylines and it's a really beautiful grown-up version of pretending that's highly entertaining. Have you ever been out with friends or family and sometimes you're not sure if you're actually being you or if you're pretending or is there a character that emerges out of you <laughs> by accident? Because I've been there. I've seen that with some of my friends who are actors. They're like, okay, who are you right now, please? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm one of these odd people. I'm very glued to me when I'm not working, but I imagine that you know, my characters all come from parts of me, so I think probably definitely pieces. Oh, yeah. You know what? As I think about it, yeah, definitely pieces mm-hmm. of my characters slip out. I'm a mom, and mm-hmm. as a mom, there's moments when my sort of commander self absolutely comes out. Like, you will not, you know, <laughs> that comes out. <laughs> or mm-hmm. the goofy side, you know, that uh, yeah. I think involuntarily it happens, yes. I bet it does. The Shakespeare always reminds us all oh, the world's a stage and we are all actors in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anything that's been the most rewarding experience for you with voice acting for video games and cartoons or acting in television or movies? Yes. Oh, so much. I mean, I I love the feeling when I can, and this shows up more in on-camera acting, when I can absolutely lose myself in a role and in that moment with the other actor where you get to just kind of go on that ride in animation the people that I work with I'm hesitant to name names because it's every single one of them they're so brilliant and so funny and so kind and such lovely humans to be around and I have learned so much from them I mean most of my talent comes from the people that I'm around just learning from Mm -hmm. them and sponging off them they're extraordinary and in games I mean I've gotten to play some characters that save the universe. I think I've wanted to do that since I was four. So Me too. I get to pretend <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Now, do you sometimes stay in touch with some of the folks that you've worked with on projects of the past? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, it's, Good. A, it's a pretty strong community, so I'm, I'm in touch with many of them. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. What has yeah. been the most important life lesson that you've learned so far? There's enough to go around. Mm-hmm. Everything's taken care of. You just show up, honor your spirit and who you are and what you see, and it all works out. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the human soul, what comes to mind? It's the point of everything, right? And it's mm-hmm. all going to be okay. When I look at it from that level, I know it's already okay. But we are here to yeah. learn things and to work things out. How are you feeling about the current times that the country's going through. <laughs> I, can, I have to. Well, I have, I'm looking for answers, so I ask everyone. <laughs> oh, you mean the dumpster fire that we're living in? I think that the current president is our trainer. I think he's going to be here until we're trained up and strong enough to step up and move him out of the way ourselves. No one's coming in to do it for us. No single thing is going to do it for us. I think, you know, it's making us into some of the best people we can be. At the same time, yeah, I find myself at the next challenge, which is probably the most daunting challenge in this process for me. I think we've all gotten very adept at speaking our mind and standing for what's right and wrong in Mm -hmm. in our hearts for ourselves. The next challenge for me is to, I don't even know how to put it into words, to reach out, 
to the other side without judgment and find a place of understanding that we can agree on, even if it's something as simple as, okay, you like ice cream, I like ice cream. Let's just start there. Or you love mm-hmm. your kid, I love my kid. We have that in common. Let's just start there. Let's have a tiny conversation about that and then step back. Yes. Come back find one more thing we have in common and then step back. So we can rebuild yes. this structure of understanding and knowledge that we're all humans and there are people who are always going to hate because they're that far sunk into fear and they're not coming back. But how do we embrace them as well, but still be warriors standing for what is right and non-negotiable? And that's where I get concerned. You know, I tend to want to put myself into that gathering of the ones that are so dark, sort of like, gosh, there's got to be one in here that's ready to ignite their light. I don't know who, but it's like I'll just walk into that environment and be me and allow myself to be curious and engage in conversations which teach me how consciousness, which is just the the sum total of all the thoughts that we've been having, but how Mm -hmm. consciousness can really end up in another dimension and still do something with it, something that could hit, hurt, kill, maim, and then... That consciousness can also gift someone something, give love, uplift, inspire. And remember that famous quote by Einstein where he said, we can't solve problems by Mm. using the same kind of thinking we use when we created them. And I feel that's where we are. I feel like we are being given an opportunity to step up in the way we think of ourselves so that we can act from that place. Yes, I agree 100%. And yeah, the challenge for me is how do I do that on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Um, you know, well, that's uh, tough. You, yeah. you better try Raj Yoga meditation. You get up from 4 o'clock in the morning onwards to work on it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yes, quite I'm, an effort, I, which I have not I mind. do a much shorter I, meditation I, every day. That's mine. I, yeah. I really, I love the morning rise. The morning rise is where... You know, the sound of silence is actually signaling and showing you things that you cannot see at any other time, and I love that. I want to talk about your podcast, The Art of Money. How did you go from voiceovers and acting to hosting a podcast about money? And is money really an art? You know, that's a name that a friend of mine came up with, and I went for it. I've changed the name of that podcast three times. It's been The Art of Money, it's been Adulting with Money, and it's been Beyond Money. I don't know what to call it. That happened because... In entertainment, one thing that I've learned is that you're in fashion and you're out of fashion, and it has little to nothing to do with your actual talent. So being a good money manager as an artist is critical because you're you're going to need to save the money you make when you're in fashion for the times when you're out of fashion so you don't eat yourself alive with doubt, fear, poverty, and all that craziness that can drain the artistic and creative side of you. So it's a very practical you know, requirement there. You have to be both the artist and the benefactor. You have to be both. Mm-hmm. I, to that end, a few years ago, started pouring any spare money from my acting work into uh, real estate investments because, you know, I just wanted that backup. I wanted more freedom to do projects for free for, you know, as little as the union will allow me to do because I just love them. And I wanted to be able to say no to things that I deeply don't believe in. And so I've been growing that passive income on the side. And that process, I bumped into a belief within myself that annoyed me, which is that if you're good with money, you're somehow less creative. If you're creative, you're not good with money. It's the separation between business and art. And I thought I want to live in a world where artists are empowered with money because what would the power structure and functioning of that world look like? That sounds like mm-hmm. fun to me. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading a lot of financial stuff and was stunned at some of the information I found about how things actually work when you boil it down. Not how we're told they work, but how they actually work. And it occurred to me the system is so rigged against the average person, and it made me mad. And I'll go to you know, Comic-Cons and things like that and meet fans and do panels and, and talk with people, and I look around at those people, and I see a lot of them are under this horrible suppressive blanket of misinformation which has resulted in debt and horrible financial and health habits 
because the machine is telling them all kinds of wrong things that are costing them their lives on a, you know, on a low level, not their actual lives, but they're really wrecking their quality of life. So I always ask at conventions, can I please have a room and a couple mics and sit down and do some, and can you throw it in the program that I'm in the room at this time and let's, let's do the panel, let's do the podcast. And we talk about money and we talk about debt and we talk about things like, you know, when you went to college, did, did you know that the degree you're getting gets you a job that pays you, you know, thirty six to 42000 a year, but it's going to cost you 130000 to get that degree? And how are you ever going to pay that off? You know, did you know mm-hmm. that before that lending predatory lender signed you up for all that? Did you know that all this packaged food you're sold with convenience has, you know, a, an entire staff at that corporation trying to research how to make that food as addictive as possible so you keep giving them your money? You know, my, and the cost to you is your your insulin levels are going crazy. You're growing the wrong microbes in your gut, and you're having issues with depression and anxiety because your physiological balance is off because you're eating stuff that's really bad for you, and your body's not designed for that. But you were sold a bill of goods through commercials and everything else that you have to have that. Did you know that your vision of your life can look like whatever you want? And not what commercials and media tells you. Like, what's your heart about? Do, you know? Like, mm-hmm. let's connect you to your heart, not to the corporate advertising machine, so you can get your soul back and have some fun. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, money is also an energy. It's an energy. And isn't it very deeply connected to the way you feel about yourself sometimes also determines the way you earn your money and spend your money? Do you also talk about that on the podcast? We do. Good. We do. We dig down. I frame money as a table. With four legs, and listen, and I say very clearly, I am no expert. I'm just a human being who likes the subject. I've learned a lot along the way, good decisions and bad. And if I can save you some pain and time, that's why I'm here. So, I, in the conversation, I frame money as a table has four legs. The first leg is knowledge, which we are not honestly given for some very specific reasons. The second leg is listen, knowledge. And then a plan. You can make a plan mm-hmm. once you have some real knowledge. The third leg is habits. Once you made a plan, you know the habits you got to put in place. But the fourth leg is what you just talked about. It's being. It, well, my understanding of what you just talked about. And that mm-hmm. is your, where you come from, you know, your, your family's legacy around money, your, yes. your yes. friend culture around money. You know, I had a, a wise mentor once said, if we talked about our friends like we talked about money, we wouldn't have any. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting because we're seeing so, so much corruption that was hidden in the country, and yeah. it's now becoming very obvious. And I always, you know, sit back a little bit and say to myself, "What is it that the soul wants that it itself out for a limited possession, a limited item?" for a person, for a relationship, and to what extent will we recognize that, like you said earlier, you know, I am enough, I have enough, I'm okay, I'll be all right. Yeah. Well, I think our modern culture has walked us down a path where our, our belonging is outside of ourselves. You know, you need this external thing to be lovable and belong. And what this path, I think the crashing of all this stuff is showing us is giving us the opportunity to really see, no, I don't. I came in here lovable exactly like I am. I don't need that outside object. I read a book in in college called Captains of Consciousness, and one of the things that stuck with me in that book was that before the Industrial Revolution, only the wealthy could have, you know, this kind of table, that kind of chair, this kind of shirt, because it was handmade. And once manufacturing came into play, they mass-produced these things, but once everybody had that table and that shirt and that chair and really that car, they don't need none of that. What are you going to do with all your machines and all your facilities? You need to create demand. You need to keep making new versions of that and selling it to people. How do you do that? Advertising. You convince them that they're not enough unless they have this. They're not really mm-hmm. lovable without that. You don't, you're not going to get a man. You're not going to look good. You're not going to get a woman. You're not going to get a partner. You're not going to be enough. You're not going to be safe. You're not going to be happy without this thing. And that's gone on for a long time. And I think this crashing down of time that we're in, you know, with the minimalism movement and with the really throwing the blanket back on corruption and, 
the amassing of wealth by a very small group of people to the detriment of so many others is giving us the chance to go, hold on, <laughs> wait. Mm-hmm. That's actually mm-hmm. not true. Yes. This is what matters. Yes. Yeah. So true, so true. You know, sex trafficking, opiate addiction. Right now, e-cigarettes and vapors are becoming a very big issue in the country. There's a lot of things going on and at a very a very rapid pace. Any thoughts that you have, like, let's say that you are the most powerful woman on the planet right now, even though you are, because you could be that if you wanted to. <laughs> Give us, like, three things that you would do to implement change in the world. Gun violence, rape, abuse, the immigration, separation of children at the borders, people who are just coming over for a better opportunity. You don't leave your country to come to another country in worse environments or worse situations and, you know, all of this. If you had that power, what are three things that you would do to somehow leverage the suffering that we're witnessing? Well, the first thing I'm inclined to do is step back and pull greater minds than mine together to, to discuss and reach consensus. Mm-hmm. But if, if I had a magic wand, if we could get outside of current reality, I would love a magic wand whereby I could tap somebody and they could instantly, empathically, physiologically experience what the person they hate is actually going through. Because once you have that kind of connection, you can't hate anymore. You can disagree till you're red in the face, but you can't do hateful things anymore once you really connect to somebody's humanity. So, you know, one of the things I would love to see in place is a mandatory volunteer time with somebody whose experience is as opposite as possible to yours. I would like to see, I was at a, an executive workshop a few days ago, growing my business mind a little bit, and I looked around that room and I, it just struck me square between the eyes. Opportunity is not enough information mm-hmm. is inc- incredibly important and this is high level executive information that costs money to get i think that information belongs in every single high uh, secondary school around the country to give everybody that's an equal opportunity there isn't god that's such a daunting question mm. because it's not a single it's not a single thing that's going to change everything this is part of our evolution and we all have to take responsibility. We have to get past apathy and we have to increase empathy. Mm-hmm. Those are just human I'm asked that question. That's why I'm asking you. I ask it to myself all yeah. the time. And I know it's a hard question because I think many of us want to see a better humanity because we want to be a better version of ourselves. And a lot of times when I visit that question, I end up with very similar answers. One, I want everyone to pause and go inwards. That's the first thing. Yeah. yeah. Two, I want them to ask, what does love want from you today? And three, mm-hmm. I want you to do charity service. I don't yeah. have any other answers. I don't know if every leader in every generation so much is available for us to do things and to make things better on the planet. Why are we in this state still? It's got to be something at a super spiritual level. We're here to grow. I mean, right? And yeah. What do you think? I think it was the Dalai Lama said, uh, this is god-awful paraphrasing, forgive me, that without emotion, without difficulty and hardship, we would be the emotional equivalent of veal. We would have no, no strength. And the, the truth is, myself included, many, many, scores of us, you know, millions of us were apathetic and not really playing because, yeah, the system is gross and stinky and I just don't want to get in all that. And it had to get so bad that we're now up on our feet and we're active. I mean, I mean, there were studies done. There was a study I read last year that said that people who tend to vote sort of more of what we identify in the U.S. as politically right-wing, they're motivated by – there's a lot of fear there, and they are fighting to protect their way of life. Mm-hmm. Whereas in what the U.S. defines as the left, we are advocating for change. You put those two in a ring, you tell me which one's going to win. Somebody advocating or somebody fighting for their way of life. Mm-hmm. The, the circumstances of the times have us up on our feet and training and that ring and fighting. And that's where we that's where we should be. I mean yes. we are cleansing we're cleansing the dark and you can't clean something you can't see and it's gonna get more and more in our face. 
as we have yeah. to clean it. And then we also, I mean, for myself, I have to stay really aware. I remember the day they announced the Secretary of the Interior and the current administration. I think I was in my bedroom throwing shoes and yelling in a rage. And it struck me in that moment, I am the same energy that I can't stand right now. Yes. I am the yes. same energy. And I went, yes. oh, God. Well, I don't want yes. to do that, so I've got to move past it. And what I do is, you know, what you focus on grows, right? And we're focusing mm-hmm. on the current administration, the current president, and they're growing. And what yeah. I do is I check it, and then I focus on what I want. And worry, right, is daydreaming about bad things that haven't happened yet. So yeah. it's that book, uh, excuse me, Your Life is Waiting. Instead, daydream about what you do want. Just redirect. So I'll sit around, and I'll daydream my dream administration. You know, mm, I look at what I they're doing, that. and then I daydream solutions. Because percentage-wise, I want a tiny percent of my energy on the stuff I can't stand so that I'm informed. I don't want to, be, I don't want to not be informed because that's, then my head's in the sand, my butt's sticking up, and you know it's going to get good, <laughs> right? So I want to check that, notice, yes. envision the dream, and then get any tiny practical step done. I think I say this a lot in my podcast, and forgive me, these two creatures don't exist on the same continent, and I would never want anything to happen to an elephant, but a piranha cannot take down an elephant. A school yes. of piranhas can get it done in about a minute and a half. Yes. We yes. are piranhas. We have to yes. school up and join our focus to the light. We will have to walk through some dark to get to the light, but flashlights are useless in the daytime, and that's what we're here for. What do you think about the DNC, the presidential race that's underway right now with so many candidates in the ring? And in one way, I feel it's good because they might be mobilizing their base, and folks are going to be more interested to get up and maybe get out there to the polls if they're not rigged, of course. But then the other thing is I'm going to follow what you just said. I'm going to start to visualize the Democratic Party as united and clicked as the Republican Party is right now. But when yeah. you look at the candidates that are running now, any thoughts that are swirling through your mind that you'd like our listeners to hear? Like, how should we approach really listening and deciding who we should really support at this time? In the primaries, don't be limited by who you think can win in the primaries. In the primaries, yeah. throw down for what your heart wants. Once we're past that and into the actual race, throw down as hard as you can for the actual candidate, because I'm going to tell you, there will be corruption that's already in place. Many, mm-hmm. many, many votes will not be counted. Many votes will be stolen by bots, etc. Many people's perceptions will be kidnapped by misinformation. We're going to have to turn out in double the numbers we would actually need to win to maybe squeak by and win. Also, focus on the down-ballot stuff. We need to take back the Senate. We need to take back the smaller races. We need to keep an eye on all the little races. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need numbers to at least twice what we think we need to win because we're up Absolutely. against some formidable – we're not running this race against the administration. We're running this race against the robber barons who started in the 1800s and mm. have grown to an international energy and force and number and just people gathering lots of money and screwing everybody mm-hmm. else over because they just can't see anymore. I don't care about – the errors they are or aren't making as humans, these numbers are devastating and it's unsustainable and we have to stop it. And we stop it by coming out in force and we cannot get petty and crappy. And when you feel rageful, breathe, step back and for God's sake, be constructive. Absolutely. You know, that's a great note to end on because as you can see, we're all very passionate about what's going on. And I know a lot of us have felt very powerless, but we're not. And I believe in the power of thought, but I also believe in the power of activism. So Jennifer Hill, you are amazing. I really (laughs) love your energy. And I hope you're not doing a voiceover game on me and I know you're not. But no, just, my God, this yes. is me as a human. This is what no, no I know. I was <laughs> playing with you. I'm so yeah. glad we found you on Twitter. That's actually where we found me out too. about you. Yeah. Oh, thank I'm so grateful to so, find you so as much. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for this time so, and this opportunity and, and blessings and thanks to everyone out there. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Leave us with a website where folks can keep up with you and lots of good wishes. And thank definitely you. we will connect again for sure. I would love that. Thank you. I am uh, jenniferhale.com on Twitter. I am at jhaletweets. I'll be in New York in three weeks at the Comic-Con there. 
Instagram, I'm Jay Hale Graham, but I'm not very active on Instagram. Twitter's my my jam. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Jennifer Hill. Thank you so very much. Many blessings. You as well. Have a Take great care. day. You Bye. Too. Really loved Jennifer Hill, everyone. Go and visit her on her website at jenniferhillhale.com. Just lots. We learned about acting. We learned about voiceover. We learned about politics. We learned about humanity. We learned about, gosh, wait, wait, a lot of stuff. I just love it. This is going to be one of my favorite interviews, I'm sure. Anyway, remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. Just really, just keep looking towards the light. And hold tight. Do the best that you can. And don't be too hard on yourself. Hold up and try to hold up those around you that you love. And even those that are falling down out there that you might not know, send them your pure wishes and your good vibrations. It'll help them, even if it's in a subtle way. Here's one wish from Bliss. Take care, everyone. I'm Sister Jenna, 
You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.